the Fantasy Football Welcome to the Fantasy Football Beat, the podcast that will never let your team die in darkness. I'm Scott Allen, filling in for Mike Hume. Hi, I'm Des Beeler, and I just think it's interesting that Roger Goodell is reportedly asking for a salary of $50 million a year, uh, unlimited use of a private jet for life, and a lifetime supply of any pizza not named Papa John's. I'm Jeff Dooley, and I got to say the the private jet for life. That's one of the smarter <laughs> negotiations I've I've ever uh, I've ever heard. Say what you will about the commissioner. Yeah, I, I would settle for that's once a, a week, but yeah. it's a life. <laughs> that's pretty a strong play. Well, Mike is off enjoying a much deserved vacation in Florida, and perhaps answering a help wanted sign from the hapless Dolphins. He could probably offer a little more resistance than they did against Jonathan Stewart on Monday night. If he doesn't return, we will know that he got the job. But week 11 is upon us. It's the last week of buys, and fantasy football playoff pictures are coming into focus. And really, every decision you make from here on out, start, sit, guys to trade, guys to pick up off the waiver wire, could determine whether or not your virtual teams are playing meaningful games into December. With that, let's get right to the big idea. The big idea. Get him off your team. Drop him now. He could be the surprise of the 2017 season. That guy is a walking ACL tear. Oh, yeah. He's a major sleeper. Well, I've got a feeling that this week's big idea won't be popular with at least one person in this room, and Des will give you a chance to, to respond to this in a bit. But the idea is this. It's to trade for Melvin Gordon, the Chargers' high-volume yet touchdown-dependent running back who is coming off one of his worst games of the season and that performance came in a game when the guy most likely to cut into his production, Austin Eckler, had one of his best games. To elaborate on this big idea, let's bring it in its originator, Chris Harris of HarrisFootball.com. Thanks for joining us, Chris. How's it going? Hey, guys. How are you? Thanks for having me on. HarrisFootball.com. I listened to your podcast earlier this week, the film breakdown of that Chargers-Jaguars game. Um, I saw you defend Melly Gordon against one of his haters on Twitter. You wrote in the Washington Post this week, one of the five must-moves for fantasy owners is to go out and trade for Melvin Gordon. Can you explain why, you're, why you are still so high on him? He's really good at this thing we like to call football. That's my favorite <laughs> thing about him. Um, so, so here's the thing. Okay, I'm not saying it's, you know, doing a must-make move column for the Post is somewhat of a trap because, no, should everybody pay whatever they have to pay to get Melvin Gordon? Of course not. Like, the point would be, you want to try to find the person who's listening to all the stuff about Melvin Gordon, anti-Melvin Gordon, and get them to sell really low. You know, you want to get them. Right. You want to buy players at the nadir of their value. It doesn't make you don't make money by buying players who've been awesome, right? So, none of us are going to say secretly Melvin Gordon was fantastic against the Jaguars. Like, no, he he wasn't. Legitimately, got stopped in the backfield over and over. What I will say is that Austin Eckler is not a threat, or at least I don't think he is yet. I don't think you've seen. Anything except for the very end of the Jags game that would indicate anything like a threat to Melvin Gordon. And the moment when the Chargers said, all right, Austin, you've played pretty well. You scored two touchdowns, albeit on little flare passes where you're wide open. Melvin could have scored there. Anybody could have scored there, really. A couple of missed tackles. Uh, but you've played well. Gordon hasn't gotten anything done. Kill the clock for us, buddy. They handed it to him the very first time he fumbled and they wind up losing the game in overtime. So I really feel like that threat is being dramatically overstated. And then all the metrics, all the per yards per carry, which I hate as a stat, and uh, basically the Melvin Gordon 
gets met in the backfield as much, if not more, than any running back I watch on film and makes three-yard runs that you know most running backs couldn't make. I completely believe in the talent. I think usually talent wins out. I think he has a big game against Buffalo this week. <laughs> so, uh, hey, this is Des Beeler. Um, so you mentioned how you don't think yards per carry matters very much. So I guess there's no point then in me pointing out that he's averaging 3.8 yards per carry, which is bad. I'd say 4.0 is generally seen as sort of the standard, the standard line of demarcation between a good running back and a, and a not so good one, and that he's only averaged 3.5 and 3.9 yards per carry in his first two seasons. So we now have a pretty sizable sample of him being inefficient on the ground. Um, so if, if that's not worth pointing out, then how about like something like football outsiders metrics, which are a little bit more of an advanced stat, and in defense adjusted yards above replacement, he was rated as their worst running back in week 10, and for the season, they have him rated 30th out of 32 running backs in rushing DYAR among players with, uh, with 80 carries. And, uh, you know, some of this is on the Chargers' offensive line, which Football Outsiders also rates pretty poorly. But in general, you know, I think there is some information out there to indicate that Melvin Gordon really isn't, you know, that good at football. And when you see him make sort of explosive plays, that's nice, but maybe he doesn't have the the vision to really hit the holes properly or, or, you know, he he, he doesn't really get the tempo of the game. I mean, is there something he said for that? Uh, Can we we rewind this conversation to two months ago when that exact same argument was being made about Todd Gurley? That's my question is... You cannot tell who a good running back is in the NFL strictly based on numbers. And as much as I love the football outsiders, guys, what are those numbers based on? Guess what? Per carry, average, and all that stuff is baked into those numbers. In the end, there's no way to separate a player from his line where the Chargers have had one of the worst lines in the league three years running. They tried to take two offensive linemen in the first three rounds this past draft. They both are now hurt. Uh, You can certainly look at numbers. But without the context of what they actually look like on film, you wind up with terrible analysis like the people telling you two months ago that Todd Gurley was bad at football. And you'll recall I had a piece in the Washington Post two, two months ago saying trade for Todd Gurley. That was the night before the San Francisco game when he had his coming out party in week three. And I don't think that the Chargers are apt to have quite that much of a bounce this year because the offensive line personnel needs to get better. As soon as it does, we are all going to be eating our words on Melvin Gordon. Hey, Chris, it's Jeff Dooley. Uh, I think you just threw off Des with the use of nadir. He's not used to hearing that level of vocabulary uh, from me or, or Mike or Scott. Um, I, I want to ask you about the uh, the mystery that is the Patriots' backfield, specifically Rex Burkhead, who is coming off his biggest fantasy game of the season so far. Uh, I, want, I want you to rank these guys for me. Rex Burkhead, Mike Gillisley, Deion Lewis, James White. Uh, what's your feeling there? Um. Can I can I pass? Can I can I yell more at Dez? I would love to yell more. <laughs> at no, like so. This is the problem, right? The, the problem with the Patriots is that we think we've got it figured out, and then they completely redo the game plan. And in the end, it's why drafting Patriot running backs is it's not necessarily a no go. Although I was real no on Mike Gillisley, uh, somebody who that who the advanced metrics loved last year, as I recall. Uh, the feeling is that, you know, they go into Denver where they've had LeGarrette Blunt stuffed for years, and they go, why are we going to do this again? Let's sit the big guy. Will anybody be shocked against Oakland if Gillisley's active and all four of them play? Like, they redefine themselves on a weekly basis. That's evading the question. I can tell you for week 11, the order in which I have them is Deion Lewis and then Rex Burkhead pretty close. James White, who looked like just the surest thing in the world until the Denver game, He's pretty far down in third, and then I don't think you can use Gillsley because you don't know if he's going to be active. I mean, James White, in the first half of that game, while it's competitive, played five snaps. 
Like, we think he's a good player, but if Burkhead's going to be in the pass-receiving role, line up in the slot a ton, like, how can we possibly play James White? Yeah, I, I think with the Patriots running backs, all you can really hope for is the sort of what have you done for us lately theorem, where yeah. if a guy's been good in one week, there is I think there was a decent correlation that in the very next week he'll probably get a bunch of carries, and then you just have to wait to see over the next couple weeks after that if it all just sort of peters out. Um, I want to ask about another running back who's got off to a terrible start uh, but seems to have regained his place in the circle of trust, and that's Isaiah Crowell. Uh, last week we saw him rush for 90 yards and, and a touchdown and average uh, 5.6 yards per carry, which I realize is, is a useless metric. Um, but he has at least <laughs> he has at least 67 total yards in each of his past five games. You know, coming into the season, we thought he would be a pretty solid RB2 based on what we thought would be a high usage with the Browns, even if they weren't that great of an offense. Has he sort of returned to that area of being a, a sort of a trustworthy RB2? I'm getting there. I'll say, like, in this week was a little flashier results-wise, but I thought uh, last week as well, uh, both both times it felt like, I mean, does, is he allergic to Joe Thomas? Like, as soon as Joe Thomas wasn't there, that offensive line actually started to make room. My contention with someone like Crowell, and I wonder if you guys agree on this, he's not a particularly special player. He's a big dude. Uh, he can He's a pretty good athlete, but he's not really a – he's had breakaway runs. He's not really like a wow factor type runner. Usually he's going to be the product of what's going on around him. And for the first, whatever it was, seven games of the season, there was nothing going on. There was no push. You know, the helmet test when you watch film of just seeing whether the offensive line helmets are going forward or kind of, you know, standing there or getting pushed back. Like Cleveland was just getting pushed back, and those running backs didn't have a shot. And these two games, it's felt like, wait a minute, hold on. There is actual movement where both Duke Johnson and Isaiah Crowell in this past game against the Lions – I don't know if you guys got to see it at all, but it felt to me like for the first time they could breathe. They could get the ball and take a half a second to like look around, and that's good. Like That's better. It's progress. This is a tough one against Jacksonville. I think the badness of their run defense is overstated. I think the numbers may look that way, but it's because you can't throw against them. I, if he does it this week, I'll be a little more circle of trusty, but I, I'm, I'm getting there. I think it's not a terrible point. Chris, I wanted to ask you about another guy that you mentioned in this week's column, and that's Cowboys running back Rod Smith. We got our first look at what that Dallas offense is going to look like without Zeke last Sunday, and it wasn't exactly pretty. Maybe the the biggest takeaway is that Darren McFadden isn't going to be a factor at all, apparently. Even though Morris had Alfred Morris had team high 11 touches, Rod Smith's uh, use seemed to pick up as the game went on, three carries and four yards. Do you see him being more involved going forward, and who would you rather own between Morris and Smith? Ooh, that's the million-dollar question. Right. Here's the thing. I'm sort of, um, you know, how much, how many lessons can we take for a game where they basically didn't start a left tackle? <laughs> it's just, God, what a mess. You know, the, the kid just couldn't. He was a turnstile. It was a great Halloween costume impersonating a turnstile at Chaz Green. And so I wonder what we can even, is there anything we can take from it? Like the Cowboys can't possibly go into this Eagle game with anything resembling the same game plan where you're not giving the kid help as long, you know, if Tyron Smith is still out. Um, so like if, if it's going to be an explosive Philly offense against a Cowboy defense that doesn't have Sean Lee, it's tempting, although we, we aren't always good at predicting this, but it's tempting to imagine, yeah, Philly's going to score and Dallas is going to have to score along with him. We're going to see a lot of Rod Smith because I agree. I think you guys are right. Like he was the passing back. And he played way more snaps in the second half. Probably the Cowboys would love to, quote-unquote, establish the run game with Alfred Morris. But in the end, I mean, maybe it's not possible. I, I think both need to be owned, and McFadden can be dropped. Um, myself, I'm still probably going to say Morris over Smith. 
with the idea that we haven't seen the left tackle that's supposed to be in there be in there, and that maybe once he's in there, they can run, and that seems like it would be more Morris. But I'm certainly willing to have my mind changed. Do you guys have a strong preference for either one? I, I think it depends on game flow, right? Uh, if you think the Cowboys are going to be losing, which is likely in this game yeah. against the Eagles, then it's probably Rod Smith, right? If you think they'll be able to build yeah. a lead and kind of just chew up some clock, then it's got to be Morris. Right, and also going against yeah. the best rushing defense in the league in the Eagles this week, I think Smith's yeah. the better play just because, like you said, they'll be behind, and I think they could find the, the tough going on the ground. Yeah, it could be a much bigger deck, Prescott day and certainly the wide receivers there as well uh chris a guy we haven't mentioned since week one when he was injured danny woodhead uh is he going to be a factor uh during this fantasy stretch run well what do i the thing the dumb really stupid ridiculous thing that i always say on my podcast is you can't legislate usage which makes no sense how did i come up with that <laughs> verb it's completely insane it came out of my mouth one day and now people write songs about it so, like, I can't tell you what the status of his, of his hamstring is. But I will say I don't think there's anything in that backfield in Baltimore enough that would go, if you get a healthy Danny Woodhead, no, no, we're good. Like, we don't need you. Just, you know, hang out over there. Like, I've never been a big Alex Collins fan. I think he's fine. He just strikes me as a, a pretty, I mean, compared to mortal human beings, he's an unbelievable athlete, but compared to real running backs in the NFL, I think he's kind of just another guy, even though he's got those river dance feet. Um, so, so I will, I will say yes on Woodhead that's pending the hamstring being right. Like we don't even know for sure that he's active this week against green Bay, but, uh, sure. You know, it's not exactly the most exciting functional offense. They don't tend to be able to jam it down a decent defensive throat running the ball. So why not throw it to Woodhead seven or eight times a game? Um, isn't you mentioned Alice Collins, but isn't Danny Woodhead more likely to take a big bite out of uh, Javorius Allen's workload? I mean, he's more the the passing downs back and the guy who ascended in, in Woodhead's Allen's in, in Woodhead's absence. I was thinking that Allen was probably right. almost droppable if if Woodhead got back on the field, you know, quickly. Yeah, that's a good point. It seems like it would hurt Allen more. I, I'm I'm almost thinking that if I had a healthy Danny Woodhead, and I'm Baltimore, who let's face it, still in the thick of the playoff picture somehow, unbelievably. They probably, I don't think they're very good, but they are still, you know, potential to make the playoffs. I would build an offense around Danny Woodhead. I would say early downs Woodhead can play the way the Chargers did the year Ryan Matthews got hurt. Like, you know, he can run between the tackles a little. It's like Christian McCaffrey, right? I call Christian McCaffrey sort of like a better version of Danny Woodhead. I think they're pretty similar players. You can run them between the tackles five times a game to keep people honest and then otherwise be just splitting them all over the place and giving the ball in space and having to make plays. Uh, I don't think any of them are great for fantasy. Even if that role happens for Woodhead, I don't think he's great for fantasy, except for maybe in the PPR, like I get seven catches a week kind of way. But, yeah, it's a good point that if Collins just – it's going to be a clear demarcation point where early downs are going to be Collins and someone else is going to get the later downs, I'm with you. That hurts Buck Allen. Gotcha. And so let's uh, let's head over to Indianapolis. Uh, they're heading into their bye, and I'm just sort of wondering, given that their season is really sort of circling the drain, uh, will they use their t- time off to prepare Marlon Mack to be their top running back, or will you know will Frank Gore still be fending off challengers when he's like 50 years old? <laughs> yeah, I don't think they have it. I don't think they're planning on making a change. I mean, Frank Gore played really well against the Steelers. He played a lot better than Marlon Mack did, and it's. You know, we forget what Frank Gore used to be like in his prime. He's a pretty explosive player, a pretty explosive athlete. I mean, he's the opposite of that now. But in short area, like, 
you give him a little bit of a crease, he can definitely still accelerate. He can still definitely make a cut. He's not going to run away from anybody anymore. And he's tough as nails. He's a very strong, thick player who I think probably is the heart and soul of everything about that team, right? He's probably the anchor emotionally of that team. Otherwise, I would imagine they would already be looking at the kid. Uh, there's, I think with running backs, you feel in general like you kind of know what you have. You don't really need to see them the way you need to see a quarterback really run an offense. Like Marlon Mack seems like he's a really good athlete who has to be coached to not bounce everything outside. And, and probably he's made them a little crazy, and maybe that's why this week the snap count was a little down. But you can see enough raw material with Mack that I wouldn't be shocked to see him maybe in a 50-50 split with Gore for the rest of the season. But I, I, my guess, we're guessing, again, not legislating, but my guess is that Gore keeps being the head of a tandem. Great stuff as always, Chris. We really appreciate the, appreciate the insight. Uh, keep fighting the good fight for Melly Gordon. I'll do my best. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Thanks. Thanks Chris. And uh, everybody should listen to his podcast at Harris Football. Uh, Chris Harris, unlike a lot of us, will actually watch his film. <laughs> yeah, the, the film breakdowns are great. <laughs> There's New podcasts set up. every day of the week um, and occasionally stuff on WashingtonPost.com. Stock Watch. Stock Watch. It's time for Stock Watch, and normally we start with Stock Up, but today let's start with Stock Down, and why is that, Des? Well, that's because there was some big news out of Buffalo where they are benching quarterback Tyrod Taylor. And they're going to start, apparently, rookie, fifth-round rookie uh, Nathan Peterman at the Chargers. So that is a major, major blow to everyone, obviously, who owns Tyrod Taylor, who's been starting him. I know I have him in one league. Fortunately, in that league, I also have Ben Roethlisberger, and I was just going to play the matchups down the stretch. But I guess I'll just play Big Ben down the stretch. But, you know, really a vexing situation, I think, for a lot of people who feel like Tyrod's been a good quarterback, you know, and he certainly hasn't been dealt, like, that great of a hand in Buffalo when you think about they traded away Sammy Watkins and then they brought in Jordan Matthews. He got hurt. Charles Clay was doing well. He got hurt. He was sort of relying on Zay Jones for a while. And even with all that, he's still 14th in fantasy points among quarterbacks. He was the QB8 last year, the QB14 in 2015. So, you know, he's been getting it done more or less in Buffalo without that great of a supporting cast. Um, you know, So I think a lot of the reaction online is, just like you know, what are they thinking here? Like, why? Why would you? And and not to mention that Buffalo is five and four right. in the playoffs. If yes. the season ended today, exactly. If the season ended today, Buffalo would be in the playoffs where they have not been since 1999. It's the longest stretch in in the NFL and and, and possibly in all sports uh, in terms of a playoff drought. Um, you know, and and in, in they just so granted they just suffered a, cons- a couple of consecutive losses to the Jets and Saints, but I mean they gave up almost 500 rushing yards and nine rushing touchdowns combined in those two games. I don't think that's on Tyrod Taylor. But obviously they just they want to move on, so you know it just makes him droppable. And I don't th- I don't I, I don't think Nathan Peterman becomes a hot guy on the waiver wire just because he's going to ascend to that top role. No, I don't think so either. And as someone who uh, there there have been so many quarterback injuries this year, I'm someone who in, in in a couple leagues is in a really bad way at quarterback. I would keep an eye on Taylor if he does get dropped in your league. If you can afford the roster spot, if you're going week to week streaming guys, I wouldn't be surprised if he's he's back starting. Uh, if Nathan Peterman has a rough couple games here. So um, he, he's someone, if you can afford the bench spot, maybe take a little flyer on him in the hope he gets his job back. I'm not particularly optimistic for Nathan Peterman's chances there. <laughs> yeah, kind of a tough spot, too, at the Chargers, who have a very good pass rush and can play good pass defense it's on the road. I mean, I guess the weather will be nice, so he's, he's got that going for him. Right. Bill's fans apparently can't have nice things. Who else <laughs> do you have trending down, Des? They just don't. Yeah, let's go with uh, Jordy Nelson. 
I mean, this this you talk about stock down. I mean, he's almost become he has become droppable. I think in a lot of league settings, if you need a guy, if you're in the last week of bye weeks and you need to replace somebody, or you're just sick of it. I mean, I, I just don't know. Like, uh, you, you certainly can't start him. He has eight catches on 15 targets for a total of 68 yards and no touchdowns in his past three games, which have all coincided with Brett Hundley's three full starts. So for whatever reason, Hundley just does not have a good connection with Nelson. And you compare that to Devontae Adams, who's done a little bit better. I mean, just in the past two games, Adams has 12 catches on 18 targets for 143 yards and a touchdown. You know, now they're playing the Ravens, who are the second stingiest team uh, in terms of fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. So, Jordan Nelson, I mean, he's he's unplayable at the moment, and I wouldn't blame anybody if they just dropped him outright. There are a number of uh, big fantasy performances last week from some unexpected names. On the flip side, who's trending up for you, Des? Well, we have to start with Robert Woods, um, obviously, because he's had scored two touchdowns in each of his last two games, and in this most recent game, I mean, he just went bonkers. Eight catches for 171 yards, a 94-yard touchdown reception. Obviously, you don't expect that to continue. He's not going to have 94-yard catches uh, too very often. But the thing about him is now we've seen a ceiling to go with what had been a pretty good floor because he'd already established himself as a reliable wide receiver three at worst. He had at least four catches and 59 yards in six of his past seven games. So you've seen that reliability. And now all of a sudden you see that like he can go off for like huge games. So that, that puts him very firmly in the wide receiver two conversation. They're at the Vikings this week. That's not the best matchup possible. Then they're at the Saints, who all of a sudden have become rather fearsome against passing offenses. So, you know, I, I don't expect him to keep putting up monster numbers, but he's but just in terms of like reliability and a, and a good chance of having a big game, Robert Woods, I think, has ascended to YR2, uh, wide receiver two levels. Yeah, I think he's sort of he's a possible uh, sell high guy if, you, if your trade deadline hasn't passed. But I think if you've got him, you're probably starting him most weeks. I picked him up in one league uh, last week, ended up starting him, and obviously he had the, the monster day. Uh, against the Vikings, there's sort of a big difference between having to face Xavier Rhodes and then having to go up against Trey Waynes uh, at the cornerback positions outside. And it's sort of unclear, do they do teams continue to treat Sammy Watkins, who's the, considered the more talented player, uh, as the number one guy? Or is right. it Robert Woods, who's actually the number one guy there right. with Cooper Cup playing the, the slot position? Or Connor Cup, as, as Mike <laughs> prefers to call him. Uh, so, so that's going to be interesting, too. Those could be some tricky matchups for him, but yeah. Uh, unbelievable rise uh, from him, and, and that offense is just a juggernaut right now. Yeah, it, that's a good point. It doesn't remain to be seen if defenses start shifting their coverage toward Robert Woods. I think they've generally been putting their best cornerback on Sammy Watkins, who's been basically used as a decoy, much to yeah. his fantasy owner's dismay. So we'll see if teams change it up. You know, I mentioned the Seahawks coming up in a couple weeks for the Rams, and that gets me to the other stock up, which is wide receivers playing the Seahawks. Like, you know, for years now, that's been a no-go. Like, you might bench your your a wide receiver who's going up against Seattle's Legion of Boom, but it's just not the same unit this year already, and that was before they lost Richard Sherman for the season. And, I mean, I I just don't know if it could be overstated how important Richard Sherman is to the effectiveness of that offense. I'll throw out one stat that I saw on ESPN on throws outside the numbers on the left side of Seattle's defense where Sherman primarily lines up. The Seahawks have been first in completion percentage, that is lowest, first in touchdown interception ratio, and first in total QBR. Uh, at total 42, he had a streak of 109 consecutive starts, including the playoffs. So, you know, he's been 
a rock out there, and now they don't have him, and they're going to replace him with Jeremy Lane, who they just tried to trade uh, in the Dwayne Brown trade, and he failed a physical, I think, and came back to them. Now I, I guess they're really glad that happened because that, he's that's back awkward. on the team. <laughs> yeah, you know, and on the other side, they're lining up Shaquille Griffin at the other cornerback spot, who's a third-round rookie and has acquitted himself, I think, reasonably well, but he's, he's still played like a rookie. They just signed former Seahawk Byron Maxwell off the street. So, I mean, this is not the same secondary. So when, when you look at... You have a wide receiver, and you look at his schedule, and you see, oh, he's playing Seattle. Like, I just don't think that's, you know, that's a nearly as fearsome a matchup as it used to be. Yeah, if Josh Doxson could play the Seahawks every week, he might be a viable <laughs> fantasy option. Value pick. As we mentioned, this is the last week of buys, so you might need to scramble to fill a roster spot. Who's your under-the-radar player to watch, Jeff? All right, I'm going to go with uh, Eli Manning, and he is not being mentioned in a lot of positive uh, uh, ways so far this season. Uh, but I will say he still has some fantasy value, especially this week. The Giants are playing the Chiefs. Uh, Kansas City has allowed the fifth most fantasy points to quarterbacks all season long. Uh, I think it's also safe to say that the Giants will be trailing in this game probably. at certain points, so they'll probably be throwing. So as long as they keep him in, and there's a chance he, he could get benched at some point, but as long as he's playing, uh, you know, we talked earlier, there's a lot, of, a lot of fantasy owners who are in a bad way at the quarterback position uh, based on some injuries. He's a guy who I think you could stream. Uh, and still get some fantasy value out of. So I'm going to go with Eli for my value pick you know this what? week. I think this is the second week in a row that Eli Manning has been a value pick on this podcast. I think Mike picked him last week, and he did okay. He did okay. Yeah, he did yeah. okay in a loss to the Niners, 273 yards and two touchdowns. Where are you looking for value, Des? Uh, I am looking at the Cardinals-Texans game. I was going to go with John Brown for the Cardinals because I wanted, I wanted to pick any receiver not named Larry Fitzgerald because he's obvious, but I wanted to pick another Cardinals receiver against the Texans' oh-so-porous pass defense. But I'm going to go with Jermaine Gresham, the tight end. He's kind of stood out in the last couple weeks. He has a TD in each of his past two games. In the last game, he had seven targets for five catches, 64 yards. Uh, Drew Stanton probably won't play in this game, which will give Blaine Gabbert the start, so maybe that changes the mix for Jermaine Gresham. But I think the general consensus out there is that Blaine Gabbert is probably better than Drew Stanton, or it certainly can't be any worse. So, you know, if you're, if you're in dire need of a tight end, I think Gresham could be a little sneaky start there. I'm going to go really out there with mine. Uh, D.D. Westbrook, the rookie for the Jaguars, who should make his debut after undergoing abdominal surgery in September. Um, preseason stats don't mean anything during the preseason. They don't mean anything in September, and they certainly don't mean anything in Week 11. Sort of like yards per carry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But this is a guy who, and maybe it's a soft spot for owning him in my college football fantasy league last oh, year in Oklahoma, go. 288 yards to lead all receivers <laughs> during the preseason. And the, the wider receiver situation in Jacksonville now is a mess. Obviously, been without Allen Robinson all year. Alan Hearns, not expected to play. Marquise Lee is now the de facto number one for Blake Bortles. He'll be going up against Jason McCourty. And that Browns running defense is pretty good. you got to figure they're keyed on Leonard Fournette. I think there should be some opportunities so long as D.D. Westbrook is active in that passing game. I mean, it's tough to start a guy who has never played in the NFL and is coming hey. off of an injury where they didn't activate him right away, so it seemed like they wanted to work him in slowly, but... You know, he's got explosiveness if he's fully healthy. So it, he's you know. my D deep sleeper. Maybe <laughs> better, maybe better for daily fantasy than well, than yearly leagues. That is simultaneously <laughs> the best and worst joke that's ever been said on this podcast. Fire beware. 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 
So who are you guys shying away from or at least tempering your expectations for this week? You mean apart from D.D. Westbrook? <laughs> yes, apart from him. Uh, I'm, I'm shying away from DeMarco Murray. He's at the Steelers on Thursday. So, you know, Thursday games tend to be a little bit lower scoring. And, you know, they're, they're going on the road on a short week. He just came off a three-touchdown game, um, which seems a little bit fluky, given that he had just two touchdowns for the entire season coming in. Uh, so, you know, I, I think if, if anyone's buying the narrative like, oh, DeMarco Murray's back or he's looking like an RB1 these days, I would temper those expectations. Um, I'm going to throw out yards per carry again because I apparently love that stat. <laughs> we has, need a buzzer. He has no, he's averaged no more than 3.3 in any of his past four games. He's only rushed for over 60 yards once this season. He's kind of been getting by on some OKC, OK receiving yards per game. So, you know, that might continue against Pittsburgh. But I think it's a pretty tough matchup. Pittsburgh has been very rough on running backs in all but two of its games this season. Who are you pumping the brakes on, Jeff? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking at the Redskins playing New Orleans. Samaj P. Ryan is taking over the starting running back spot uh, now that Rob Kelly's been injured. He's been placed on IR, so uh, so he's done for the year. Uh, Rob Kelly, not exactly a fantasy juggernaut. I think there's some excitement around P. Ryan. I would temper yeah. that. Um, only six broken tackles as a runner all year long. This is per PFF. Uh, that's fourth lowest among qualifying running backs. Th- this is a guy who sort of had the reputation of a power back at Oklahoma. Now, maybe you believe in the idea that he gets more reps. He'll he'll find a little bit more uh, success, maybe get into his comfort zone a little bit more. Uh, but he just hasn't been productive with the opportunities, he, opportunities he's had so far. And we keep saying it, the Saints defense is a lot better. This isn't the old Saints defense. So I'd steer away from him this week, and I don't see him as a, a fantasy football savior the rest of the way. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, that Redskins offensive line is is getting healthier um, and Jay Gruden says he wants to establish the run, but I think it's becoming more and more clear that they just they don't they don't have it in P Ryan, they don't have it in Kelly. I think they could be behind early in that game and yep. throwing a lot. So potentially a good game from Kirk Cousins, although Neil Gurdenberg says to sit him because the Saints defense um, is good against uh, passing offenses as well. So mm-hmm. it could be a tough game all around for the Redskins. For my buyer beware, I'm going with Matthew Stafford at the Bears. He's been hot this season and he's been fine on the road. Uh, in fact, all five of his interceptions this year have come in domes. So it's not so much the cold weather, but the Bears have been secretly stingy at home. Only four passing touchdowns allowed in five home games. Uh, I think this is going to be more of a, a low-scoring game. And and while, as we've mentioned, with injuries to quarterbacks, um, Stafford is probably a guy that you're going to start if you own him. If yep. you have another option in that 9-10 ranking range this week, I might look elsewhere. What to watch for. All right, Des, what are you watching for in week 11? I'm looking at the Bucks offense at the Dolphins. Um, I'm looking at Cameron Brait because he's kind of fallen off a cliff with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick there at quarterback. He has just two catches for 19 yards in his past two games combined. This could be his last stand on anybody's roster. If he can't get it done uh, this week, then it's probably time to cut him. Doug Martin, I mean, has not been getting it done at all. His past two games, he's had eight carries for seven yards, and then he followed Woof. it up with... Yeah, <laughs> then he, and he kind of got benched in that one. Then this past week, he sort of reestablished himself, but he still only took 20 carries, which is a lot, for 51 yards on the ground. He has zero TDs um, in his past couple games. The blocking hasn't been great either for the Buccaneers. This should be a good matchup for them. The Dolphins certainly look like a team that wasn't trying very hard um, in any of the past three weeks, all of which have been on national TV. So, you know, and then also there's Mike Evans coming off of suspension. He had a very terrible game before that against the Saints. In fact, he has not had a big game since week seven. So I know his owners are waiting anxiously for him to deliver for them. So a lot going on with the Bucks offense. Where are you looking, Jeff? 
I'm looking at uh, Baltimore at Green Bay. Two intriguing running back situations there. Uh, Danny Woodhead could possibly be back for Baltimore. Obviously, he went out week one. Uh, he might have some. Is he a fantasy sleeper down the stretch? Uh, available in a lot of leagues, um, especially in PPR formats. He could could potentially be a difference maker, but we have to see him on the field first. And then in Green Bay's backfield, Jamal Williams uh, takes over the starting role following injuries to Aaron Jones and Ty Montgomery. Uh, he hasn't flashed too much. It was a, still a pretty pedestrian game when he took over, but a high workload expected for him. Uh, certainly in this game, maybe beyond that. So keep an eye on him. Uh, he, he's someone who was a hot waiver wire item this week. I'm going to be watching the Bills offense at the Chargers, and I was planning to watch this even before the news came this morning that Nathan Peterman was replacing Tyrod Taylor. I didn't and, think, and now you're not going to watch, I is that right? <laughs> I may not want to watch anymore. But I say that because there are a lot of Bills besides Tyrod Taylor who are looking for bounce-back games in this one, namely LaShawn McCoy, who really struggled against the Saints. Right. And then I'm interested to see if Kel- Kelvin Benjamin is more involved in the offense. Six targets last week in his Bills debut, only three catches. Maybe, just maybe, Nathan Peterman, who likes to throw the ball down field a little bit more than Tyrod Taylor is, maybe they've got instant chemistry and this is a good thing for Benjamin owners. I'm a little bit skeptical, but I'm definitely interested in in seeing how the Bills fare against a a decent Chargers defense, especially with a pretty favorable schedule coming up. They get the Chiefs next week, but then they've got a stretch where they've got the Patriots, the Dolphins, and the Colts. So teams that they could potentially feast on down the stretch. Wouldn't surprise me if if Kelvin Benjamin continues to get a steady diet. They gave up quite a bit for him. Then you get the quarterback change. Is this sort of a, a full organization organization tilt towards uh, seeing what Peterman has there and then and then they try to force feed it to Benjamin they haven't had another receiver really flash there so uh, I wouldn't be surprised if his workload uh, continues to be high yeah and that's you know that's one of the another one of the sort of frustrating things for Tyra Taylor owners is that the Bills as you mentioned have this great schedule down the stretch and it's also yep. good for wide receivers so you know Calvin Benjamin may be the beneficiary of it all but but darn it you know Tyrod was set up for against some pretty tasty-looking matchups, especially in the fantasy playoffs. So maybe Peterman is now set up for those matchups. Let's hope. And with that, a reminder to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. You can check out all of our great fantasy football content at WashingtonPost.com and give Chris Harris a visit at HarrisFootball.com. He's on Twitter at HarrisFootball, and you can always reach out to us as well. I'm at Scott S. Allen. I'm at Des Beeler. I'm at Jeff Dooley underscore. Thanks for listening. See ya. See ya.